Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Message Live. My name is Sarah Small. I'm head of the Eden Network here at The Message, and I've been working through the book of Philippians with you for the last little while. This week, we're on our fourth week, so if you've been following, um, then we're going to move on. If you haven't been following, you haven't got too much to catch up on just yet, Um, but I hope that you've been able to spend some time reading this book. It's only a short one, four chapters, um, and if you can do that in one sitting, it's a really good practice to get into, sitting, reading a whole book of scripture. Um, But today, we are going to unpack chapter two, verses 12 to 18. I don't know whether you've ever said that you'll never do something. It is always problematic, isn't it? Especially if we say it to God. I remember years and years ago, I was on my way back from youth group with a friend in the back of my mum and dad's car. They were dropping him off on the way home. And my mum had got out the car to do something. And uh, he'd said to me, we were chatting about our future and what we were going to do. And he said, "Uh, when you leave home, are you going to keep going to church? And my answer was very strong and very immediate. And my answer was, no, absolutely not. No way. As soon as I get away from home, I'm going to ditch the church thing because my mum and dad had made me go every week of my life, sometimes twice, occasionally three times. And uh, I figured as soon as I was out from under their roof, as soon as I was independent, then I was going to go my own way and do my own thing. And uh, when we say never, often then God steps in, doesn't he, and does something And a bunch of different things happened between that moment in the car and the moment of me going to university, uh, which actually meant that my mind was totally changed. And I really did want to go to church by the time I got to university. I was uh, recommended to go to Ivy Cottage Church. I went there for the first time back in September 2001 and have been there ever since. But today in our passage, the Philippians have been reminded by Paul to continue doing what they were doing when he was with them. When, now that he's away, now that he's in prison, now that he can't be with them anymore, he encourages them and he challenges them to keep on doing what they were doing when he was with them. Often when our teacher goes away, when our mentor goes away, when we're out of sight of our parent, perhaps, we can be tempted to shift and change. But Paul's encouraging them and spurring them on and and saying to them, please keep on doing what you have been doing, even though I'm no longer with you. Let's just quickly remind ourselves of the context of this letter Paul is in prison, as I mentioned. He's facing trial. He's probably facing execution. He's nearing the end of his life on earth. There's some sort of persecution happening to this church, a little bit like Paul's persecution. He talks to them about the suffering that they share. There's also been some sort of argument in the church. A little bit later in the letter in chapter four, we hear about an argument that has broken out. It's causing tension. It's causing disunity. And Paul wants to address this. And he's also continually reminding them about the example of Jesus and what a life worthy of faith in Jesus looks like. Last week, if you remember, we looked at that incredible passage about the incarnation, about Jesus stepping down from heaven, becoming the the form of a man and even submitting himself to death on the cross before he's raised into glory. 
And this is the example, this mindset of sacrifice that he's continually asking the Philippians to adopt and is continually relevant to the church today. So let's read our passage today together. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. I'm going to read out the NIV. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So too you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's attitude is always amazing when we remember what the context is that he's speaking out of. And today we're going to look at four things that we can learn from this passage, four challenges, four promises, four actions that we need to take. And the first one is this, we need to work it out, work it out. Paul writes to them, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does he mean here? What's he saying? Is he saying something that there's some extra thing that we have to do to earn our salvation? Is there some extra activity? Was the work of Jesus on the cross not sufficient? Well, it's often problematic, isn't it, when we read one little verse and we don't link it to the verses around. So let's look at the next bit. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There is a work of God, but there is also some work for us to do. Is that about salvation? No. Let's be clear. Uh, God is the saviour and God has done the one act of necessary salvation that only he can do. Let's remember that passage in Ephesians, another letter of Paul's, chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, where he tells us, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We earn nothing in terms of our salvation by our works. God has done and is continuing to do the work. He's done the work of salvation, but he's also doing the work of transformation in us and in you and in me. But it requires us to do something to work that out, to figure it out. What does it mean to be saved? What does life look like when we live in freedom? What does a transformed heart do and say and think and feel. It's a bit tricky sometimes to understand this, but perhaps a good um, parallel is the parallel of marriage. So on a very rainy day in July 2007, Steve and I, pray, uh, Steve and I prayed for sunshine and it didn't come. Uh, but somebody said that rain was a sign of blessing, so we took that. Um, but we said, I do. We got married. And uh, on that day, we said some words, we prayed, our friends were there, we signed the register and from that day forth, we have been married. We have been in the state of marriage. Uh, nothing can change that. We can't add to that. We can't take away from that. That just is. It's a given fact. 
But if we had done nothing about our marriage, if we hadn't communicated, if we hadn't gone places together, if we hadn't lived in the same house, if we hadn't had fun together and gone on adventures together and cared for each other, we would have missed out on the whole experience of being a married couple. We would have had a very strange marriage indeed. You see, we possess the status of being married on that day. But the reality and the experience is a lifetime of exploration and of working and of doing and of learning and of getting it wrong. Being saved is a little bit like that. As soon as we um, invite Jesus into our hearts, as soon as we um, ask for forgiveness for what we've done, as soon as we put our faith in him, we are saved. Nothing changes that fact. But we have a lifetime ahead of us to work that out, to figure it out. That's often why I can get a bit nervous when I hear testimonies that are repeated over and over again. Some people have got incredible testimonies of their salvation moment when God worked in them. But if they're still telling that same story five, 10, 15 years on, and they don't have anything new to say, then I think that's a problem because actually God is always working in us and working through us. It's not about a one-time moment. It's about a lifetime of exploring and learning and sharing and growing and deepening. I hope you would agree. So what's the working out that we have to do? If God is working in us, what does it mean for us to work that out? It means taking responsibility for our own faith. Sometimes we talk about Christians being self-feeding. You know, often at church on a Sunday morning when we used to gather We would talk about feeding the people. We would preach, we would worship, we would lead. We would um, plan this whole time where people could have an experience. And sometimes, if I'm honest, that could be quite consumerist. It could be quite passive for those who came along. There wasn't a lot that you had to give in those contexts or you had to do because it was done for you. You had that beautiful time together and it was fellowship and it was great. But sometimes we could just do it and go home unchanged. We could just gather and it wouldn't really have an impact on us because somebody else was doing the work for us. And this last year has really shown us that we can't rely on other people to grow our faith. We can't rely on a good preacher. We can't rely on our pastor. We can't rely on a gathering where we can be together. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit in us. We need a, a, a pursuit of God, a cooperation with God, a personal responsibility to deepen our own faith, to explore and experience it, as I've already said. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to get our disciplines sorted out. We need to work on rhythms. We need to work on giving and fasting and loving and all these different things. Because Paul says that God is working in us to will and to act. I don't know about you, but I am great when it comes to the will. I'm great when it comes to intentions. I have a lot of good intentions. I, uh, I do this when I, quite often I go to a bookshop or I look online at books and I see a book by somebody that I really like or on a subject I'm really interested in and I buy the book and it's almost as if buying the book is enough. But actually, if I don't read the book, if I don't engage with the book, then I'm missing out. And it's so similar with my intentions. I have a great idea. I think something in my head, but then rarely or only occasionally do I actually take that into action. And it's a really big problem in the Christian life. I've said this in previous weeks, when our intention and our action get divorced or get separated 
from one another. We can actually really be quite, um, we can deceive ourselves in our own head. And John Bevere, um, who wrote this incredible and very challenging book called The Bait of Satan, which is all about offence and why as Christians we need to be careful about getting offended, says this. He says, often when we judge ourselves by our intentions and everyone else by their actions, often, sorry, often we judge ourselves by our intentions and everyone else by their actions. It is possible to intend one thing while communicating something totally different. Sometimes our true motives are cleverly hidden even from us. So true, isn't it? Our intentions, we judge. Other people's actions, we judge. Uh, but we never judge ourselves on our own actions and we can be deceived. We need more of the work of God in us. We need to have our wills transformed, but that also needs to work itself out into action. The second point that I want to make today is that Paul challenges us to weed it out. What does he say? He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul spells out the goal. He spells out the aim, being blameless and being pure. I don't know whether any of you feel like that's achievable, whether you're there already. I definitely don't. Um, and again, it's really easy when we're looking at other people to judge where they're at when it comes to blamelessness and purity, or perhaps where they're at when it comes to grumbling and arguing. My kids grumble and argue regularly, and at tea time the other night, having read this scripture a few times, I sat down and I said, do you know that the Bible says that you shouldn't grumble or argue or complain? So when I give you your tea, it'd be very nice if you said thank you and just ate it without the usual rigmarole of, I don't like this and this is horrible and I don't want it. Didn't really work very well, if I'm honest, but, um, you know, I'll keep, I'll keep persevering. But it's easy to pick up those attitudes in other people when they annoy us. But what is the state of our own heart? What's the state of our own attitudes? Are we taking responsibility for them? And again, perhaps this year has highlighted even more to us that necessity of taking responsibility for our own attitudes because we've seen so many horrendous attitudes. We've seen so much grumbling. We've seen so much complaining. We've seen so much arguing. We've seen so much division. Division, division, division. It seems to be in every sphere of life, in politics, in health, in education, in the family, in our communities. And Satan is having a field day because he loves this kind of stuff. But as Christians, we're called to unity. We're called to love, we're called to community. And there'd been this grumbling and arguing in the Philippian church, and Paul is referring to this. But he also makes a reference here back to the Israelites as well. So the people of God had been rescued from this terrible um, time in slavery. They were brought out through the Exodus. Moses led them through the sea, got them away, got them into the desert. And what do they do? They complain, they grumble. They even say such things as it would have been better if we'd have stayed in slavery. <laughs> they were so ungrateful. It's um, baffling, really, when you think about it. But perhaps it's not because it, it shows us an attitude of our hearts that we so easily slip into. Other Bible translations use different words. So grumbling, complaining, murmuring, that internal voice in our heads, which says, I don't like this. This doesn't suit me. I don't fancy doing this. This is a bit too challenging. I don't really want to go there. I don't really want to do this. I'm not sure I agree with that. Have you 
heard those voices? Do they speak in your head? And what about arguing, disputing, questioning, reasoning, hesitating, doubting, bickering, taking that internal dissent and verbalizing it and going for somebody else, going for somebody else and undermining them, criticizing them, criticizing their leadership, criticizing their their stance on things, criticizing their very person. We can be so very harsh with our criticism. Please don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying there's not a place for arguing or speaking up when it comes to justice, when it comes to wrongdoing. But let's think a little bit when we argue or question or cause other people to cut into a fight with us. Are, Are we doing that out of a motivation of love? Are we doing that out of a motivation of building them up, out of seeing God's kingdom come? Have we counted the cost of those actions on the body of Christ? When we attack one another, have we really realised and thought through what that means for a church that has a unified purpose to represent God to the world? It doesn't look good. And there's work for each of us to do when it comes to weeding out these things from our lives. We need to check our attitude And we need to check the way that we justify ourselves sometimes. I know I can be quite critical. And part of that is because I hold a high value on truth. I really um, want a a kind of an objective truth to be spoken. And I, I find it challenging when I hear things that aren't exactly true as I think they should be. And yet that attitude and that spirit in me can go too far. And it can be too harsh. And it can start to challenge and bring other people down around me. So I need to watch it. I need to speak the good out of the good in me first, rather than look to tear down and bring down for the sake of uh, some kind of objectivity that I think is important. Check your heart. Check your attitude. Check your critical spirit, because it very quickly and very easily starts with a small thing and grows. The third thing that I want to talk about this morning is shine it out. So we've had work it out, we've had weed it out, and now we've got shine it out. Paul says to the Philippian church, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will shine. What an incredible promise. You will be in contrast, very specific and direct contrast to the world around you. What is more contrasting than a bright light and the darkest of darkness? And it's not just that God will shine in us, but also there's, there's, again, there's work for us to do in shining. There's work for us to do in representing him. And this concept of light, this concept of shining, if you've got some time, you could do so much Bible study on this. I just um, scratched the surface of it yesterday. But look at what the Bible says about shining and about light. Jesus says in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 5 14, you are the light of the world. Do not hide your light under a bowl, he says. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6, Paul says this, let light, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What is this light, this light in us? It's a representation of God's glory. It's a revelation of God's wisdom. And it's a reminder 
of God's presence. The light in us will dispel the darkness around us. It will dispel the darkness in us. We need to pray and ask God, would you let us shine, God? Would you shine brighter in us? Would you expose the darkness in us? Would you illuminate the truth to us with your light? And the final thing that I want to say is that Paul challenges the Philippian church, and it's true of us today, to stick it out to stay the course, to persevere. He says, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul continually reminds his churches to persevere, to hold on, to stand firm. That is the mark of a Christian. Challenges will come. He's already told us this. Sacrifice will be necessary. He's already told us this. What do we need to do? Persevere in the strength of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, filled with the light of Jesus. And for Paul, we talked about this in week one. He's not praying for his circumstances to change. He's not gritting his teeth and hanging on until something changes and he gets to live a nicer life and goes to be beside the beach with his mates. No, he's, he's happy in the circumstances that he's in, facing death, awaiting trial, because he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's eternal perspective enables him to have joy whatever the circumstance he finds himself in. He knows that however he is treated, he is submitted to God. And whatever happens to him, that's actually secondary to how the gospel is being set out, how the gospel is spreading, how the gospel is making its way among the nations. He even says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, so too you should be glad and rejoice with me. Can we be glad? Can we rejoice? Can we hold our present reality lightly, preferring to focus on the eternal destination, preferring to focus on the work of God as the primary calling in our lives, rather than the work of ourselves or the preferences of our lifestyle or the comfort of those uh, in our circle? It's a challenge and it's hard for us but it stays the same throughout all generations. It's always been a challenge. It's always been hard. But as we go back to the beginning, we're reminded that God is working in us to will and to act. So in summary, we're challenged today to work it out, to take responsibility for our faith, to put into practice what it means to be saved and to experience and explore the fullness of that we're to weed it out, we're to work on our hearts, work on our attitudes, be careful with our mouths and our, our, our how we speak of the people around us. Build up this precious and fragile body of believers. We're to shine it out. Don't hide your light, don't, don't settle for a dim light, but actually shine out into the darkness of the world around us, the light of the gospel. And finally, we are to stick it out to persevere, to keep going, to ask for God's strength on a daily basis rather than one big experience that lasts us for the whole year. God has got enough for you today. God has got enough for each of us every day. He is not short on resources. Let's pray as we come into land. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are working in us. I thank you that you instigated faith in each of us. And Lord, would you draw us into working with you? Would you draw us 
into collaboration, into cooperation, into co-laboring with you even deeper today, God. Would you help us know you're close? Would you help us weed out some of these attitudes and behaviours that would seek to destroy your church, God? Help us be builders of your church, of one another, of the kingdom. Jesus, help us not be shy. Help us shine out your love. And Lord, give us everything we need for each day ahead of us. Lord, if we're in the toughest of situations, if life is kind of boring right now, if it's a breeze, however we find ourselves, God, would you provide everything we need for the day today and for tomorrow and for every day whilst we work out what it means to have a saved nature, what it means to be human, what it means to live with the light of Christ in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks' time. Bye. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.